guys think that it's wonderful when you ask a kid what they want and they can answer the question? Yeah. Isn't that neat? It's funny. I've asked people what they want, like, like not that they're not people. I've asked grown-ups, like, what do you want? And they have a really hard time answering that question. In January, we are going to be talking about the questions that Jesus asked people, and one of them is, is of a guy who's blind, and he's screaming out, you know, son of David, have mercy on me and help me and help me. And they, they say, hey, the master wants to see you. And he throws down his coat and he's blind. So we kind of know he's planning on being healed. He comes back again. And as he's standing there, this looks like a pit crew, doesn't it, for the Indy 500? And, uh, and while he's standing there, Jesus says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that interesting that even though it's obvious what he needs, Jesus still wants to hear what we, what we, what we have to say. Because sometimes we'll say, well, what I want is from you is I, I, I just want a, a good 401k. I, don't, I didn't even have the faith to be healed. I, what I really want is a good dog that can kind of help me across the street. And I mean, just know that, that sometimes it has to be our own hearts that open up to God's heart. And we say to God, this is what I want. When I was an addict, you asked me what I wanted, I could answer the question. Thank you. I even got a button. I love this church. You know, but then you come as a believer and you say, what do you want God to do for you? And often it's like, well, I'm afraid to ask because what if? What if he does? What if he doesn't? So you ask the kids what they want for Christmas, and they know. So we're going to talk this morning a little bit about the series called Believing in Miracles. We believe in miracles here. And we started talking about it two weeks ago, Miracle Sunday, praying for people. Last week we talked more about seeing miracles. Today we're going to talk about miracles from a child's perspective. Some of you guys know you cannot see a miracle unless you trust God like a child. It's just, it's just the way that it works. But before we do that, I do have one last announcement. We started a tradition about eight years ago here at the church. We weren't able to do it last year, but every Christmas day at noon, we gather the faithful. Not for a service. We go to the cheapest, nastiest Chinese buffet we can find. And thank God we still have that one. It was closed for a year or two. I, I, they found dogs in the meat locker, something like that. But for some reason, um, it's, it's good now. And we're going back to it. It's on the far side of town. It's called like the family, the family buffet. So at 12 noon on Christmas Day, now here's the one thing. Everybody know what the one thing is? You have to come in your pajamas. We all wear our pajamas. Sometimes people wear pajamas and robes. One time uh, somebody showed up like the pink bunny outfit from the Christmas story. But we all show up and we have lunch together. Someone else cooks it for us and it's a blast. If you want to join us, it's open. There's no reservations. You just go there and often there's a line out the door. So it starts at noon. So get there at 11.30, 11.45 and it's going to be a blast. But no, there's no organization. The kids run around with their favorite toy. Everybody hangs out and talks. And honestly, it's become one of my favorite Christmas traditions just hanging out with my friends in the pajamas on Christmas Day. So you're invited. So anyway, um, let's just talk about this for a second. This is what what we, we understand about Jesus. Before Jesus, world leaders almost had nothing to do with children. If they had something to do with children, it's for exploiting them. It's exploiting them for their labor, exploiting them to manipulate their parents, exploiting them sexually. But when it came time for Jesus, Jesus, for the first time, a world leader came on the scene and said, you don't understand. They're, they're incredibly valuable. They're super important. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. It says, then people brought their children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Now, why, why would a disciple tell the parents, get your kids away from Jesus? Like, what, what would you say? Because he's what? He's important. What else? He's, he's busy. We're Americans. I knew that one would come up, right? He's, he's holy. He's a king. He's, he, doesn't have, like, he should not be bothered with the trivial things of this life like your kids. But the disciples rebuke these people, and Jesus rebukes the disciples. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. This is the line we're going to spend our time on today. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Think about that. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Say it with me, will you? The kingdom of heaven 
to such as these. What does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he says children know something we don't? They have something we don't possess. They walk in something that, that we don't know how to walk in. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people like this, like they were just standing here singing or watching TV, like my grandson was doing, not singing, right? And I, I think maybe to help us understand this, there was a, a riddle that Paul Harvey, how many of you guys old enough to remember Paul Harvey? He works for ESPN now, I believe. Um, but Paul Harvey had a radio show uh, called The Rest of the Story, and he said this, that 80, 80% of kindergartners got the, the answer to this riddle right, and 17% of seniors at Stanford got it right. So eight out of 10 kids, kindergartners, five-year-olds knew this, were only less than two out of 10 seniors at Stanford. Here's the riddle. What's greater than God, more evil than the devil? The poor have it, the rich need it, and if you eat it, you will die. Now, please, please don't say it out loud. I, I just want this, just look at it for a second. What's greater than God, what's more evil than the devil? The poor have it, the rich need it, and if you eat it, you will die. How many guys have seen this riddle before? You already know the answer. Good, just a few. So, now, why, do anyone know what the answer is? Say it if you know what it is. What is it? Yeah. This is why you go to a five-year-old, what's greater than God? They stop listening. Nothing. They stop trying to figure it out because they understood the premise of the first, uh, the first part of that riddle was nothing's greater than God. To a five-year-old, there's nothing greater than God. I'll even go a step farther. You might know this. This is not a true one. This is more of a myth, but, but it's, it's true to them, and that is my daddy can beat up your daddy. You ever seen a kid say, well, my daddy's a wuss. He wouldn't stand a chance against your daddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's things in a kid's heart that are just bigger than, than anything. I think this is one of the first clues where we're trying to figure out what does the kingdom of heaven belong to such as these, such as these little children that want to attend a switch and the suck-up that wants to spend time with her family. They got everybody else sucking up too, right? What, what is that all about? It's very simple. The, in their mind, there are certain unquestionable truths. Now, pain and disappointment and friction will begin to work on those truths as they get older until only 17% of people at Stanford, seniors at Stanford say, what's greater than God? They're like, uh, algebra? Uh, evidently, the things that disappointed me about God, the things that hurt my heart that I prayed that he didn't do anything about or the, the pain in the world, and there was a good God, and, and why is there hunger, and where was God when, and why didn't God if he could, right? So we've got, we've got one or two out of 10 seniors, so they're, you know, what's that, 21, 22, in my case, 47 years old? And they say to you, like, what's bigger than God? And you have a list of things that in your mind have directly challenged the sovereignty of who he is. But little kids, what's bigger than God? They go, nothing. Hear Jesus' words again. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. They believe. Um, we do have children in the room, so be careful I say this, but the, the robust Norwegian gentleman who has bovine transportation or the one-horse open variety who lands on the, on the zenith of Sukasa. <laughs> I don't think they're getting this, right? I don't think most of you are getting this, by the way. <laughs> and somehow he manages to shoehorn himself vertically descending into the flames of thine hearth. And the kids go, cool. <laughs> Parents go, wait a minute. There's no such thing as a, an, an elevating bovine. If he's, I mean, this would have to be done. The, you'd have to stop time. There'd have to be, let me, just get, let me get out my quantum physics calendar. Let me figure out, let me watch Big Bang Theory. Let me see if I can Einstein this. But, but kids just go, cool. How many guys know that kids don't really need an explanation? They just often believe what they're told is true. 
And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs. I'm not saying we should be naive. I'm not saying we shouldn't question things. I'm saying this. Some things, the only answer to the question we'll have is trusting the one who has the answer. And if we don't have that, then often we end up where we should not be. Think about this. Here's another one. This is from NASA. It's a longitudinal test of creative potential. Now, why would NASA want a longitudinal test of creative potential? This is why. Because when you're in outer space, every tool does everything. Everything has to supplement everything. They have to find a way to get to Mars. They have to find a way to get back. So they don't want people that have non-creative thinking because if it's never been done before, there's a reason we've never done it before. No one's figured it out. So we need people that can look at a crescent wrench and say, it's a crescent wrench, it's a hammer, it's a torture device. It opens eggs after three minutes of them being boiled. It, it is an amazing tool for like getting people's attention. We want to look at this one thing in 47 different ways. So in a longitudinal test of creative potential, a NASA study found that of six 1,600 four- and five-year-olds, so the back row here, 98% scored at the creative genius level. And I don't know what the other two kids were all about, but I feel sorry for them. 98%. When they handed something, they said, what is this? They went, that's a this or that's a that. I can use it for this. It's a hat. It's a glove. It's a, and, they, and, and NASA's going, you're a genius. Because all of those things in one way or another could possibly work. Now go forward five years. Five years later, only 30%. Now, 9- and 10-year-olds, the same group of children, scored at the same level. They go five years later. Now, they're 14, 15 years old. They're down to one out of eight. They still have this ability to conceive this, this everything has a greater purpose. We can use everything for everything. When the same test was administered to adults, it went from 98% creative genius down to 2% at the creative genius level. So what happens to our creative genius? If you're a school teacher, I, I, what I'm about to say, don't, don't take this the wrong way. You're doing your job, and this isn't like a parental or grandparental, but this is what they concluded. According to the study, our creativity is drained by our education. <laughs> now, I love that we have robotics teams. I love that computer programming is now in classes. I love that there's art. That's an infinite expression of creativity, right? But as we learn to excel in what's called convergent thinking, two plus two is four, and it has to be that way, right? Or the ability to focus or hone our thoughts, we squash our instinct for divergent thinking or generative thought. In other words, give anything new to a child and ask them what it could be used for, and they'll come up with 10 to 20 varieties of things, whereas an adult will come up to two to four. So let, let me just say it this way. I, I am not by any means saying be childish. I'm saying be childlike. There's a difference. God wants us all to be immature and irresponsible. No, no, that, that's what the teenage years were all about. That's called junior high, not adulthood. But when we talk about this, like, like can you imagine, like, if God were speaking to, to this little guy that was standing right here, let's just call him Billy. Billy, I've got this, this guy named Jonah, and I want to go to Nineveh. But you know he won't go. Billy says, why do you want to go to Nineveh? Well, because he has a message I put inside of him, and if the people that live in that city don't get to hear that message, they're, they're going to they're gonna hurt themselves. And so I told Jonah how to help them so they won't hurt themselves. But you know what happened? Is Jonah got scared. Billy's like, yeah, I'm afraid of cats. I get it. I totally get it. Hamsters freak me out. And, you know, okay. And so I, he started, he got into a boat, and he went the other way. Now, I want you to help me, Billy. How do we get Jonah going the wrong way in the boat back to Nineveh where he can help those people? What's Billy going to say? Well, um, we could, and if he's like, Seven, um, we could, um, uh, mm, uh, we, uh, we could, and then, uh, uh, how many guys know that like politicians, they talk a lot, but they don't say anything? Seven-year-old. We, there could be a storm. 
A storm? Yeah, a bad storm. Well, well would the storm hurt people? Well, no. They, 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 um, uh, they, uh, hmm, uh, what was I talking about? Uh, uh, and they would, they, they would throw them out of the boat, but the boat could keep going. Ooh, I like it. Well, now Jonah's in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm. What happens? Um, um, how many of us know that we would say, another boat passing the opposite direction came by? But not Billy. You could make a big fish, and the big fish could swallow him. And God would be like, a big fish? I like where this is going. Is there such a thing? Doesn't matter. You're God. Make one. I'd also say, well, the uh, gastrointestinal juices involved in digestion of sea matter would cause an inhospitable environment for one to be in for very long. Oxygen deprivation, carbon monoxide poisoning. Jonah would die from a multitude of various pathologies and uh, probably had COVID too, right? You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the adults. I'm sorry, that was mean. But, but I'm, I'm just telling you, whereas Billy would say, make a big fish. Okay, so the big, he's in the belly of a big fish? Yeah, okay, it's going to take about three days to get to Nineveh. Cool. How does he get out of the fish? And if it was a girl, she would say, the fish would place him gingerly upon the shore. And sparkles would come out of his tail. But the little boy said, you know what he said? You're going to puke him, man. You're going to flat, just bleh. Here comes Jonah, bleached white by the digestive juices, piece of kelp hanging off his head. He walks into them and says, repent. <laughs> so it's funny, when you tell Bible stories to children, I think they get things that we don't. And, and here's the funny thing, guys, is that it isn't just about Jonah. Sometimes Jesus says even more outrageous things than stories about walls falling down after seven laps around and, and the the, the Dead Sea, or the Red Sea, rather, parting. I mean, sometimes what Jesus says is far more practical and requires a lot more faith. Things like, like you're going to have enemies in this world, and the only way to do life the way that I want you to do it is to believe me when I say loving them is the best thing. Well, adults go, no, I, if I love them, they'll hurt me. I mean, they hurt me. That's why they're my enemy. They're liars. They're cheats. They're stealers. They're, 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 they're bad people. I don't like them. They, they hurt me. I'm putting up my defenses. My shields are at maximum. And you're saying, take down your shields and treat them as if they were someone entitled to your love. Be generous with them. Be forgiving of them. Be kind to them. And we go, ah, that doesn't work that way. How many guys, I'd rather go back to be the inside of a, of a fish. But he says these things. And so there is a faith that goes, well, even though I can't see how that can possibly be the right thing to do because God said it, I'll do it. What about giving to receive? I go up to Billy. Billy, do you want to have friends? Yeah. Do you have any friends? No. Billy, do you know how to give friends? No. If you'll just be friendly, if you'll just give friendship to them, they will give friendship back to you. So smile at them. And they'll smile back. You got two toys? Share one with them. If you have one toy, the kid goes, that's a, that's a pretty good car you got there. So you want to play with it? You will make a friend. By giving what you want, you will receive what you need. Do you see that? And Billy would be like, I, I see it. Whereas you go, well, again, the reciprocal relationship between, you know, subject and double-blind test. And, we, uh, and, and I get that. But actually, what we're, we're just more afraid than they are. Maybe we have more to lose. But what about this one? Dying to live. If you really want to have a good life, you've got to lay yourself down. You've you got to give yourself away. I remember when my son was, well, Josh was three when we moved here, so he was probably around three, and his birthday's in November, and December, of course, is 
the time we go to Mexico. And I, I remember I said, hey, we're going to go to Mexico to give a bunch of toys away to the, the kids that live in the Sonoran Desert and San Luis and Algodones and, you know, Sonoida. Like, it's going to be awesome, buddy. You're going to wear your onesie and you're going to help us with this U-Haul. We're going to smuggle across the border. It goes easier then than it is. Well, I don't know. It was easy then. We'll just leave it there. And I remember I said, hey, I want you to go through your toy box. And what I'm thinking is get all your Happy Meal garbage out of my house. All the plastic stuff, all that. And you know what you do? He would grab his favorite toys, the toys that grandma gave him, the toys that people had had the, the ability to give him a video game or whatever it was back in the day. And he'd bring those toys to me and say, I want to give this to the children in Mexico. I'm like, buddy, those are your best toys. He's like, but daddy, I remember I said this. I remember being so corrected by him in my heart. He said, but they have nothing. And if I don't give them what I have, they'll have nothing. And I have so much. Please, can I just give them my toys? Now, who's right and who's wrong? Children get that. The least will be the greatest. Well, kids don't know what it is to be the greatest, so they do anything and we applaud. They understand that. Forgiveness. Can I be honest with you? Again, I, I've said this. I think forgiveness is one of the most asinine concepts in all of human construct, except it's, it works. But it shouldn't. You punch me in the face, I go, we're cool. So you punch me on the other, on the other side of the face. Still good. You know? And you run out of cheeks, you start reaching for the back, or whatever, just, you know what I mean? We're good. I, and I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. You guys know that by displaying the power of love is expressed through forgiveness, it actually humiliates our enemies? I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've hurt people, and I haven't meant to, but I have, and so have you, being honest. I've hurt people so badly that I, I messed with their religion, I took away their church, I dishonored them in some way, real or imagined. But, but the longest, the person has the greatest record of reconciliation. It took 10 years one time of loving and forgiving as I'm not getting love and forgiveness back, but I'm loving and I'm forgiving, but I'm not getting, I'm getting accusation and hatred, but I'm loving and I'm forgiving. And, I, and, and then it kind of settles down for five years. And then about at the 10th year, we ran into each other in Canada one day. And he said, hey, remember back when we used to be stupid? I'm like, I do. Man, I'm really sorry for that. Yeah, me too, man. Are we cool? We're cool. And we're friends today. What I'm saying is this. If at any point in that process I hadn't done what Jesus told me to do, I'm not going to forget. I want to build walls. No, no, no. You want to hear a story? You want to hear what's true? This is what's true. Everybody needs to know on social media what's really true. Let me just know we would have never reconciled. But there's a power to love. There's a power to forgiveness. There's a power to laying down our lives. There's a power to loving our enemies. It doesn't make any sense because we know too much. We've had too many enemies. That's why we just have to simply believe, regardless of reciprocation, that love is the best way to do. Children don't look for reasons to doubt. They look for reasons to believe. I think this is what Jesus is talking about. Think about this, guys. The good stuff comes after we trust, doesn't it? It's the key that unlocks his kingdom, his freedom, his blessings, his peace, his love, his eternal life, and, and access just to him. Piano guy, join me if you would. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. I love this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's funny, you, again, you walk up to a child and you say, what do you want for Christmas? And man, they go off. I don't even know what a spaceport is, but we have to find one before Friday or Saturday. When's Christmas? Saturday. That's right. Christmas Eve Eve is Thursday. That's when we're having our services, not Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve Eve. And Christmas Eve, where she goes shopping, and I get to just do nothing. It was wonderful. And then we have what well, Saturday is Christmas, right? And we have to find a spaceport. I have to understand what a spaceport is. And then she has to find one, and then we have to wrap one and, and get it ready. Why? Because if they have the heart to ask, do we not have the heart to answer? 
And if we have the heart to ask God, does he not have the heart to answer? That trust in God is everything. <laughs> you ask a kid, what do you want for Christmas? They say, and here's this long list. You can ask an adult, what do they want for lunch and overwhelm them? <laughs> because it's just, it's just so crowded, right? My head, my heart is just so crowded trying to maintain, trying to figure out who's, on my, who's not on my side. Do I vote for that? What about this person? They said this over in the news and the, and the opinion and the sports team. And the, but you say, you know, what do you want for, for Christmas? And, and nothing's impossible. And a child just begins to open its mouth and dreams come out. Talk to an adult, what do you want? And these things like, you know, just world peace. You want world peace? Put your phone down for a day. It, it won't solve the world peace problem, but you'll have peace in the world for a day. Then come back to it and get stupid all over again, Right? Jesus calls our open minds and our open hearts to the soil of greatness. Look at this. I'll close with this. Matthew 18. Rob's playing, but nothing's coming out, son, girl. There you go. Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I love this. He called a little child to him. And, and in the circle where they were standing, he placed them as if he was an equal part of that circle. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change, Unless you grow, unless you shrink, unless you embrace, unless you reject, unless you change and become like little children, forget who's greatest. You're not going to even get there. You will never, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I I just want to close with this today. I think Jesus was right about us. I think he's right about them. And I I find myself, unfortunately, more like a... uh, a disciple being corrected than a child being applauded. Anybody else? Had a lot of prayers lately and and, uh, some disappointments and some miracles. I don't don't know how to explain that theologically. I really don't. But I I do get this. I know that when something happens the way I didn't want it to happen, faith is not what I use to get what I want from God. Faith is what I use when I don't get what I want from God. And I decide just to trust Him. Your parents ever disappoint you? I remember one time, before my, my parents split up, we were at the house in Bloomfield Hills, and I think it was like my birthday or something. And I remember, you know, hey, why don't you go over to the Irvines? They live next door. And when you come back, we're going to have your Christmas present. Well, I knew what I wanted. I'm sorry, your birthday present. I knew what I wanted for my birthday that year. Now, what would a four-year-old want for their birthday? You know what I wanted? How many of you remember the show Flipper? I wanted a dolphin. And I just knew that when I came back, my backyard would have a SeaWorld-sized tank with my pet dolphin in it. I knew it, you know? And I came back, and my backyard was, my backyard, I went and looked in the pool, no dolphins. We didn't have chickens. I mean, we had nothing, right? I don't remember what I got that year. I remember I didn't get a dolphin. But can I tell you something else? I didn't disown my father for not getting me the dolphin I wanted because children don't do that. I, I, if I had gotten the dolphin, I wouldn't have loved my mom more. I wouldn't have loved her less. There's just something about trusting those that are in your life the way that you can. And I, I just want to say to you today, maybe this is my Christmas gift to you, but, but we don't trust very easily, do we? Because we've had a lot of difficult, disappointing things. Often, I'll just say it the way that maybe we're, we're afraid to say it, but I've said to God, if you won't take care of me, then I'll just take care of me. If you won't take care of my family, then I'll take care of me. If you won't provide for me, I'll provide for me. So whatever you wanted for my life, no more sacrifices here, man. I'm going all in. I'll get the money if you won't give it to me. I'll get the whatever if you don't do it for me. I'll, right? And, and there's always a dead end. I come back and say, I didn't get a dolphin, but that's life. I have a dad, but I don't have a dolphin. And I don't know what you asked for. Maybe it wasn't, 
No, you didn't get what you wanted. I've been there. You've been there. It doesn't mean that we don't have a father. It means that he probably knows something we don't. And it's an invitation to grow in our faith. Hmm. One last time. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. We were praying this morning, and uh, our grandchildren are here because their parents are in ministry here, and and uh, it was really super sweet. Uh, I looked over, and our grandson has, you know, Gammy by the hand, and they're walking. And I and it was funny because our our little granddaughter, she just she walked past me three times and never saw me. I was standing very still, and she. And she, I, I was starting to walk away like I'm, I'm going to be able just to kind of pray without having to be a grandfather in this moment, though I love that. And I heard her say, Baba! And I'm busted. And, and she does this, hold you, hold you, hold you. Like, so instead of hold me, she says, hold you, because you want me to hold you? Hold you, hold you, you know. So I pick her up, and, I, and we did this. It was really wonderful. I had never done it before. I don't remember doing it before. But I decided to pray out loud with my granddaughter as a, as a two-year-old would pray. So we blessed Mommy. And daddy and we blessed gammy and baba and we we blessed hollis and she said and bless francine because i hadn't blessed her yet bless francini she said so we blessed francini and we walked by people and we called them out by name god we pray for this we pray for that we pray for those can i tell you something i think god heard my prayer differently today because i prayed differently today i prayed like a trusting two-year-old not like a, a cynical 56 year old you know what my expectations are? Mommy and daddy will be blessed. What's the blessing? No idea. You didn't ask specifically? You should ask specifically. You should sometimes. And sometimes you just say, bless mommy and daddy. I, I just know this. I can't get closer to a God I don't trust. And so I've just decided that in order to have peace that passes understanding, it's probably best to preclude me having to understand God and just accept peace. To approach him as a child is the environment of miracles. To approach him as a cynical, hurt, inordinately affectionate towards earthly, blah, 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 blah. You're never going to get there. But to come to God and say, Abba, kind of a Hebrew word for Papa or Daddy, Abba, I need you. That's the kind of prayer God answers. Amen. No believe. Would you stand to your feet? Last question. And my clock says I still have 15 minutes. Don't look at your watch. I'm your pastor. Trust me. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Here's, here's my question. Would you close your eyes real quick? Two things. You're going to be in privacy. Second thing is you won't see me pulling up my pants. The third thing is with your eyes closed, It's uh, you can see stuff sometimes with your eyes closed. You can't see with them open. Here's my question to you. You ready? If God were to come to you today, and ask you what you want for Christmas. What would you tell him? For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And there's no one greater in the kingdom of heaven than, than those who are like this. Father, we lay before you today as children the requests grown people, real problems, cancers, bills, broken hearts, wayward children. But you said if we come to you as children and we just simply say to you, this is what we want. You said the kingdom of heaven belongs to us. 
All that is in the king's domain belongs to the children of the king. Just like we were going to have to go find a spaceport, you might have to create a great fish. You might have to make a way where there was no way prior to this prayer. If we were to sit on your lap, we look into your eyes with our eyes wide open, knowing this was a moment that could change the world. Today, God, we ask you. We ask you for these things. And we trust you with these things. For some, this need may be, oh, at the very beginning, I've walked away from God or I've never known God. Make that your first request. God, I, I'm not sitting on your lap. I don't know you. Others is like, man, that's your favorite place to be. Start with him. I want you. I like that little girl. You have to know that's not scripted. What do you want for Christmas? She says, I just want to spend time. I just want to spend time. That could not have been a better plant if we'd have planned it, but we did not. I just want my dad. I just want my mom. I just want time with my family. Father, we start there. We just want you. And from there, God, everything is possible. So we do present the needs for healing and for comfort. We do present the needs for miracles and mundane things, for provisionary things, for, for the things that human words will never be able to touch, but, but heavenly hearts can. And we just pray, wrap yourself around those that need comfort today, peace. This is our Christmas list. And if we were to sit on your lap and you said, what do you want for Christmas? This is what we would say. You know my request. And now maybe you know others as well. Thank you for listening. Thank you for loving. Thank you for being good. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that nothing's impossible with God. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Maybe bovines don't fly. That's mythology. But you've done greater things than make bovines fly. So whatever needs to fly, make it fly, God. Like little children. We trust you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just didn't have this plan, but let's do this. Um, I'd love, I'm going to sit right there because I'm tired. But I'm going to sit right there. If there's anything you want to talk about, pray about, just want a minute or two, I'd love to just sit there and maybe pray with you about the thing that's on your heart. Maybe you're still struggling with it. I would ask, but I just don't. Like, let's talk about it. I, I've been so sick that my faith was negated, and I needed someone else to pray for me. Does that make sense? I've been so discouraged that encouraging words couldn't help. I need someone else. I need someone else's courage to be my courage. So if, if I could serve you in that way, I'd love to just be with you. Maybe some other staff members have joined this morning too. So in the meantime, Merry Christmas. I will see you um, but Thursday night at what time? At 6.30. I will see you Saturday morning looking like idiots in your pajamas eating bad food. And it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. Merry Christmas. God bless you. You are dismissed. Go get your kids, too. Tell them they did a great job.